And it's time for the 7th Avenue Project. I'm Robert Polly. Today, a crash course in journalistic ethics, courtesy of NPR and news analyst Juan Williams. As you might have heard by now, two weeks ago, Williams went on Bill O'Reilly's TV show on Fox, where he'd been a frequent guest, and he said the following. But when I get on a plane, I got to tell you, if I see people who are in Muslim garb, and I think, you know, they're identifying themselves first and foremost as Muslims, I get worried. I get nervous. At which point Juan Williams became a former NPR news analyst. Shortly after that TV appearance, Williams was given his walking papers by NPR. And walk he did, right into a fat new contract with Fox News, where he could be heard taking shots like this at his ex-boss, NPR President Vivian Schiller. Have you no shame, madam? You and your far-left mob fired me. Williams isn't the only one in high dudgeon. NPR has been deluged with complaints. Newt Gingrich, Liz Cheney, and other conservatives are hoping to cut off public funding for NPR, and the incident has become yet another flashpoint in the never-ending culture wars. But our interest today on this show isn't so much in the politics. It's really in the ethical nitty-gritty of it all. In firing Juan Williams, NPR cited its code of ethics, which it said he'd overstepped repeatedly. A lively conversation has ensued in journalism circles about the codes of conduct in place at news organizations, particularly the parts governing expression of opinion. Now some commentators are arguing that news media need to reaffirm those traditional principles, while others say it's time to loosen the rules. Well, we're going to jump into that conversation today ourselves. We'll talk to some media watchers and experts on journalistic ethics about the rules of the game, the reasoning behind them, and their relevance to a changing news industry. And before we go on, I want to mention, in case you're wondering, that I myself am not an NPR employee, though I've contributed reporting to them in the past. And this station, KUSP, is not a branch of NPR. It's an independent, listener-supported radio station that airs some shows from NPR, like Morning Edition, All Things Considered, and Fresh Air, along with programs from other sources, like this show. And now that that's out of the way, on to our first guest, someone with a special vantage on the Juan Williams imbroglio. She's Alicia Shepard, a veteran journalist currently serving as NPR's ombudsman. And I'll let her explain what her job title means. It really means the liaison between an institution and the public. So in this case, I am the link between listeners and NPR. And I like to say that I do the job thinking I explain NPR to the listeners, and I explain the listeners to NPR. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I do that by getting emails, uh, letters, sometimes still phone calls, uh, that have serious inquiries uh, into journalism issues or questions about why a story ran or whether that was fair or why did NPR do this. And uh, the way that the Ombudsman mission statement is written is that I will investigate issues that rise to a level of significant concern. And I define, obviously, what is significant. And so there are some issues where I will get lots of emails, and there are other issues where there will only be one or two, but I think, wow, they've really hit on something. Now, now is it fair to say that, in a sense, you're a kind of watchdog, then? I mean, you're, you're watching NPR. All the time. <laughs> so were you uh, basically in a spectator's role, vis-a-vis the, the, the Juan Williams dismissal? 
Yes, I, uh, I always speak about NPR in the third person because even though I do physically work at the building, I am not part of NPR. I don't think in the we, I am independent. So I was not privy to any of the decision-making or in any meetings about it. I did raise the issue last Wednesday, which was when it first came out about the troubling comments he made on Fox. And at that point, NPR listeners were calling and saying, fire him, fire him, fire him. And I let uh, NPR's management know, here's what I'm getting. And I must say, I almost said somewhat facetiously, in my role as de facto ombudsman for Fox News, I would (laughs) like to bring to your attention, uh, because, you know, over the years that I've been here, I've gotten hundreds of complaints about Juan Williams and things he says on Fox, and not so many about things, Robert, that he says on NPR. Mm-hmm. Well, his role on NPR is that of a news analyst, um, which um, in NPR's definition means sounding aloof and um, objective, uh, distant from events, and, and just commenting from that perspective, whereas on Fox... Given the, the Fox uh, style, uh, he tends to opine a lot more. Yes. I think that the, what happened here really is a clash of cultures. NPR wanted him to be measured and thoughtful and do some reporting so that when they talk about an issue that's hot that day or that week, Juan can bring some expertise to it and not uh, opine about what he thinks. Bill O'Reilly on Fox News has a different kind of show. It is much more of a punditry show where they, you know, engage sometimes ferociously uh, in issues. And so Juan Williams made a comment about having personal feelings of fear when he gets on an airplane and sees a Muslim wearing, quote-unquote, Muslim garb. And he over-personalized the situation, and so I, there certainly wasn't an isolated incident and in that Juan Williams said one thing that he might wish he hadn't said on Fox, and that was it. Uh, a previous incident was one that you commented on in your role as ombudsman uh, a little over a year ago, I guess, or maybe almost two years ago, which was his uh, remarks on Michelle Obama. He said, quote-unquote, Michelle Obama, you know, she's got this Stokely Carmichael in a designer dress thing going. Uh, um, and uh, you had to comment on that because you got a lot of complaints from listeners. So that's part of the, the history, I guess. Uh, sure. I mean, there, there are other examples um, There was a time where Bill O'Reilly had gone up to Harlem to eat dinner and commented, or his comments may have been taken out of context, but it was almost like uh, CNN said something to the effect, I'll see if I can even explain it, but the idea being was conveyed on CNN that Bill O'Reilly had said, oh, I ate at Harlem, and, you know, those black people have good food or good manners, something like that, but... Uh, it, it, but Juan's reaction was those idiots on CNN, and that's the kind of thing that he could not have said on NPR. Well, um, why don't we play a clip of some of the remarks that Juan Williams made on the O'Reilly factor uh, that got him dismissed from NPR? I think, look, political correctness 
can lead to some kind of paralysis where you don't address reality. I mean, look, Bill, I'm not a bigot. You know the kind of books I've written about the civil rights movement in this country. But when I get on a plane, I got to tell you, if I see people who are in Muslim garb, and I think, you know, they're identifying themselves first and foremost as Muslims, I get worried. I get nervous. Now, I remember also that when that Times Square bomber was at court, I think this was just last week, he said the war with Muslims, America's war with is just beginning, first drop of blood. I don't think there's any way to get away from these facts, but I think there are people who want to somehow remind us all, as President Bush did after 9-11, it's not a war against Islam. He, President Bush went well, to a mosque. Well, there isn't any to, theology to involved in this at all, from my perspective, Juan. But you live in the liberal precincts. Yeah, you actually work for NPR. Okay. Yes. And, and it's not about the, it's about politics, as I said. But what am, my analysis is that this Israel thing and that liberals feel that the United States is somehow guilty in the world of exploitation no. and backing the wrong side and it makes it easier for them to come up with this kind of crazy stuff that well you can't really say the muslims attack us on 9-11 no but what barbara walter said to you regions i mean but what wait a second no wait wait hold on because if you said what timothy mcveigh the atlanta bomber these people who are protesting against homosexuality at military funerals very obnoxious you don't say first and foremost we got a problem with christians because it's crazy that was a clip from the O'Reilly Factor on Fox News from October 18th, in which uh, Juan Williams um, was part of the conversation. We heard Juan Williams there talking. Alicia, what aspect of those remarks do you think were grounds for dismissal? Well, it wasn't really just those remarks. I think that when he personalized it and said how he felt about getting on an airplane, that NPR felt that he had gone too far. But the whole discussion is definitely worth having. And again, I'm not sure that that is the best place to have it. But it's really important, Robert, to realize that context plays a huge role in this particular dismissal of Juan Williams. And that is that you know, over the years, especially since I arrived in October 2007, there have been several instances where Juan has violated the ethics code by saying something on Fox that he would not be allowed to say on NPR. And so it, it is really frustrating to me and discouraging that people are just locking on this one incident and then saying that he's being censored, he's being denied his freedom of speech. Uh, he has obviously the freedom to speak anywhere he wants, but he doesn't have freedom of speech is not a job right uh, to work at NPR. Tell me more about that. What does the NPR ethics code say about such incidents? Well, this particular incident has to do with saying something on another network that you couldn't say on NPR. And it says, and I will quote it, that in appearing on TV or other media, NPR journalists should not express views they would not air in their role as an NPR journalist. They should not participate in shows that encourage punditry and speculation rather than fact-based analysis. Uh, so that's, that's pretty simple, but let's be honest here. Juan Williams began at NPR as the host of Talk of the Nation in 2000. He was there for a year. He then became a correspondent where he did reported pieces and would be a straight-up reporter. Uh, he also 
began at Fox as a commentator in 1997. So he joined NPR having that role. And over time, those two roles of being a reporter for NPR and a commentator for Fox came into conflict. And so in 2008, in April of 2008, he, NPR put him on a contract and made him an independent news analyst. Now, to be perfectly honest, there were times where I got complaints where they would say, well, because of his role as news analyst, he isn't, doesn't have to adhere as closely to the NPR ethics code. So I think that the role became troublesome, just what does it mean to be a news analyst. And uh, in many ways, I think this recent incident made NPR focus on what exactly does this mean and what do we expect of it. And I think now they're being very clear that a news analyst has a distinct role and set of responsibilities and that the role is different than that of a commentator. Um, this um, provision in the NPR Code of Ethics that you just um, quoted um, is one of a number of them in, in this document that essentially say that uh, NPR journalists should keep their opinions, their political leanings to themselves, in a Absolutely. sense. And I, I'm, I'm curious about that. I think that represents, uh, and you've got a background in journalistic ethics, so you can confirm this. I think that that represents very much a, a general principle that... Uh, mainstream news organizations have tried to adhere to for a long time. Yeah, for as long as I've been a journalist, which is 30 years, I've always been told that, yes, you can have political views and you can have opinions, but first and foremost, you are a professional, and so your job is not to advocate for those opinions or to push an agenda. Your job is to go out and get all sides of a story, and there are never just two sides, but I mean that all sides of a story. So in taking the job of a reporter, you give up some of the freedoms that other people enjoy. For instance, um, I couldn't put a sign in my front yard. I couldn't donate money to a political candidate. Can I register to vote? Can I vote? Yes. But you can't do something that is overt. Now, people will say, oh, that's just ridiculous. But the goal is to try to come across as impartial. And I think that, you know, people say, well, you know, we've just gotten to a stage, an age where you can't be impartial. You should be out there saying what you think. And I just believe that if I would get just as many complaints about um, not being able to trust a political reporter because he or she supported John McCain in the election. Does that make sense? I mean, I, I really feel that it is. This is a great opportunity to educate the public, to ask that question. If um, Robert Smith, who's in a correspondent at NPR, were covering John McCain on the election, 2008 election, and he had bumper stickers saying he supported Obama, and he had signs in his yard, and look, you can go check the public records, and he's donated $500 to Obama. Would you, on the uh, McCain camp, would you really want to cooperate with uh, Robert Smith? Wouldn't you kind of feel like, 
gee, this guy isn't going to give me a fair break. It's pretty clear where he stands on this issue. So above and all, above all, journalists should be professionals. I, I think what may be confusing to some people, and what, which I'm hearing articulated these days, is a distinction between. Um, I don't want to pick on Robert Smith, but let's let's go ahead and keep using him as an example. Uh, the distinction between Robert Smith actually voting, let's say, for Obama, mm-hmm. and on the other hand, revealing that he voted for or supported Obama. The first is okay. The second is not okay. Right. And I think that has to do with a perception. And you can guess. You can't go into the voting booth with Robert Smith and see what lever he pulled. <laughs> so, and you can guess who he voted for. You can make assumptions, but you don't know that. If you drive by his house, poor Robert Smith, um, <laughs> and you see big Obama signs, then you know. I mean, and the, and the issue becomes a little complicated when you're married, and it is your husband or your wife uh, prohibited from, you know, after using their First Amendment rights to say who they would like to support? And, and so these issues are, they're not simple, and they are guidelines, and they're what you would hope a journalist would do who wants to live and work in the mainstream media and not be in advocacy journalism. So to go from the hypothetical to a real example, Juan Williams, in expressing a point of view about Muslims, um, admitting that he is afraid of of some Muslims in some circumstances, might make him uh, less credible as a news analyst talking about these very same issues on NPR. Is that NPR's position? Yes, that's exactly it. So I just think it makes it very difficult to... As someone here at NPR said, to for Juan Williams to serve two gods who had very different, you know, beliefs. Um, you uh, weighed in on another issue that I think um, really addresses some of the same concerns um, just a few weeks ago, and this is NPR uh, sending out a memo to its news staff, telling them not to attend the uh, John Stewart and Stephen Colbert unless they were covering it. Unless they were covering it, rallies that are taking place this weekend. Um, in other words, not, again, to be associated with an event that some people might perceive as political. Uh, it really is similar. Yes. Uh, and once again, it, it may strike the general public as oddly um, straightjacketing to tell people what they can do in their spare time. But uh, I guess NPR's concern is that people would say, look, there's someone uh, from NPR hanging out, seeming to enjoy the, the liberal-leaning Stuart mm-hmm. Colbert rally. Yeah, that's generally the idea. Other, the Washington Post uh, sent out a directive to its staff saying, "You may attend the rally as an observer and stay on the sidelines." And I think, how does that work? I mean, where are the sidelines at a rally? And um, so, you know, th- these are issues of being very hard and fast on the ethics code, and that this is deemed a political event. Now, the reason why NPR sent out this memo, making it clear that they wanted anyone who wasn't covering the event to stay away, who worked in the editorial department, was that questions were being raised, is John Stewart, who is a comedian, now a politician? Is this a political rally, or mm-hmm. is this entertainment? And so I think that NPR needed to sit back and say, how are we looking at this? Well, seems pretty political to us, so we're going to let our staff know this. But, you know, again, with both of these issues, 
it's troubling that there wasn't more thought that went into the implication of these memos and this nighttime firing by the telephone in terms of how it would be perceived and how it would play out. Well, you were actually critical of NPR's handling of the Williams uh, situation, even though I gather from what you said to me just today, uh, you support it in principle. Absolutely. Um, Yes, I'm... I'm not only am I critical and think that it was poorly handled, I'm, I'm disappointed because the ramifications for NPR are, are pretty big. Uh, it may just seem like, uh, it may be that it feels like we're, that I'm in the midst of a maelstrom and that out there the rest of the world is going on. But, you know, internally uh, there's a lot of tension here. People are angry about the way it happened. There are not a lot of people who are saying it shouldn't have happened, but why did it happen in a phone call? Why did NPR send out an email at midnight to let the staff know this and, um, and not help the stations or prepare the stations for this? So I'm not, again, there may be legal issues. There may be reasons why it was handled the way it was, and I hope that we'll all find out. Mm. Um On your watch as ombudsman, do you think NPR has been even-handed in enforcing these rules? Uh, Have they fired or disciplined anybody for going on, say, a left-leaning news outlet uh, and expressing opinions that some people might identify as uh, as liberal uh, in the same way that uh, some people say that Williams' opinions and and Fox News are are, are right-wing, you know? Right. Well, first of all, let me, in Juan Williams' defense, and having dealt with him for the last three years, I don't think he you could say he was conservative or you could say he was liberal. I think the fact that he was unpredictable um, was something that NPR valued and that it wasn't, you know, you couldn't be sure how Juan Williams was going to weigh in on something, but it, that it would be thoughtful and he would be well-informed about it. So he was in many ways very valuable to NPR along that front. Well, well, let's step away from the Williams incident completely and just say that um, in, in your time uh, watching NPR's moves, do you think they are even-handed uh, in enforcing these parts of the ethics code, uh, ideology notwithstanding? I can't off the top of my head come up with an explanation. I do think that Juan Williams fit into a very special category that no one else here fell into. Since this happened, I have gotten emails from people saying, what about Nina Totenberg? And bringing up something that uh, Nina Totenberg, who covers the Supreme Court, is also on a show here in Washington that's called Inside Washington, I believe. And that is the same kind of show where people chew over the week's events and they're supposed to do it in a way of adding light and not giving a lot of opinion. And she said something about Jesse Helms. And then I come to find out it was 15 years ago, and so people are saying, why isn't she being fired? And and then Cokie Roberts has said some, quote-unquote, boneheaded things on other networks. Cokie is a... Um, I believe she's a senior news analyst who is on Morning Edition every Monday, and she um, 
has apologized for things that she has said, and and Mara Liason, who is a national political correspondent, also is on Fox regularly on Sunday mornings, uh, the show with Chris Wallace, and has said things that she has apologized for. But in in all those cases, they were more isolated incidents, and not um, they didn't show a pattern of, as NPR has said, troubling comments. Um. In in the wake of the uh, the kind of firestorm that that's attended the the Juan Williams incident, um, is NPR rethinking uh, its policies at all? I would hope they would rethink the policy of having a news analyst and might phase it out um, over time. As I understand it, right now, um, Koki Roberts, I believe, would be the only news analyst who works. For NPR. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you very much. I really All appreciate right, it. All right, my pleasure. Alicia Shepard is NPR ombudsman, and this is the Seventh Avenue Project on KUSP. I'm Robert Polly. Today we're talking about the ethics of journalism in light of the Juan Williams incident. NPR fired Williams, who they had under contract as a news analyst, after he made controversial remarks on Fox News about Muslims. Just how much opinionating should journalists be allowed to do? And what's the proper role of reporters and newspeople in a changing mediascape? Well, today we're asking those questions of a number of journalists and ethics experts, such as my next guest, Kevin Smith. He's a professor of journalism at James Madison University, former president of the Society of Professional Journalists, and current chair of the Society's Ethics Committee. As such, he helped write the Society's Code of Ethics, which many news organizations follow in crafting their own standards and practices. And he says the Society of Professional Journalists has, in fact, issued an opinion on Juan Williams' conduct. Just earlier this week, I posted uh, on our website uh, called Code Words, which is our blog. I posted uh, commentary with regards to that. And then the president uh, of the Society, Hagit Lamore, also posted uh, some comments with regards to Juan Williams. uh, And both uh, obviously condemned his remarks and... um, and said that those, you know, obviously were inappropriate and uh, constituted, you know, um, blatant stereotyping of, uh, of a particular culture and religion, and that that's uh, inappropriate according to our code and, and our journalistic beliefs. So you took um, his remarks that, you know, roughly paraphrased, said, sometimes when I'm going to get on a plane and I see people in Muslim garb, I get a little nervous as violating that part of the code that forbids um, ethnic stereotyping and such? There, yeah, there's a section in the code that says that you should avoid stereotyping based on religion, culture, ethnicity, sexual orientation, uh, appearances, and uh, in my estimation, that his uh, stereotyping uh, was re- with regards to religion and, and appearance. Now, you were aware of the full context that, that he went on to say to Bill O'Reilly, this all took place on Bill O'Reilly's show, right. uh, that uh, now we shouldn't overgeneralize and we should be aware of discriminating and so on. And, and the overall context actually was uh, Juan Williams um, agreeing with Bill O'Reilly's statement that uh, too much political correctness, such that, you, that people can't admit you know, or, or talk about their fears and um, misgivings, uh, was stifling debate. Yeah, I, I'm aware of the full context, um, and uh, I think that, uh, regardless, I think that his remarks were unfortunate and uh, and probably uh, you know, 
represent uh, a viewpoint that I, I don't think is appropriate, particularly for journalists. Um, if we're going to you know, purport to be you know, fair, uh, objective, uh, you know, truth seekers, I don't think that uh, the people who, uh, who are paying attention to our reports need to, to hear us uh, make comments about how we're, we uh, are stereotyping. You know, Mr. Williams is an African-American. What were, were to happen if someone were to make comments with regards to stereotyping African Americans? I, I don't know that he would uh, particularly sit by and uh, and take that uh, you know, kindly. Mm. Now, now one of the uh, articles, if that's the right word, uh, in the um, Society of Professional Journalists Code of Ethics here is the injunction to uh, to avoid conflicts of interest, real or perceived. Um, and remain free of associations and activities that may compromise integrity or damage credibility. I'm, I'm, I'm particularly interested in the, the latter part of those two statements, that is, perceived conflicts of interest and, and damage credibility. And, and that's because um, I think we can both agree that journalists in their hearts may have strong political opinions. But what this kind of code tells them not to do is to divulge those opinions in order not to damage the appearance of impartiality. I 100% agree with you. In fact, uh, I'm in the profession now of teaching young journalists. I, I, I'm a professor of journalism at a, at a university, and uh, one of the things that I tell my students constantly is that uh, the public is not interested in your viewpoints or your opinions. Uh, those are for your own. What you need to be able to do is produce a story that when people read it, that they have no understanding of what your beliefs are on that subject. And that's your obligation. That is your obligation as a journalist, your ethical obligation, is to make sure that when people read your stories, that the first thing they're looking for is the truth, and the second thing they're looking for is fairness. And they should not have to worry about the story being slanted or skewed to face your, you know, to um, adjust to your personal views. Don't don't create stories uh, that reveal your the, your viewpoints. What what about this? Um argument that you hear more and more these days, I think, as uh, traditional journalism gives way to opinion journalism, um, and we all know that's, that's a trend right now, it's been going on for some years, uh, that um, the public has a right to know what the journalist's biases are, so go ahead, you know, s spill your guts, do what Juan Williams did, go, go, on, <laughs> go out there and tell them where you're really, where you're really coming from. Well, I, I have a bit of a problem with that because I think that I think that the public needs information and they need to um, you know understand the facts of the story. They don't need to understand um, if they can read my story and they can uh, gather information and use that information to make good informed decisions, whether it's about city government or county government or about you know who they want to uh, vote for in election. It shouldn't really matter whether I'm a Democrat or Republican because if it doesn't if it does not uh, affect the story, and it should not affect the story, then I don't think that's relevant. One of the things that we run into uh, that I have problems with is, <clears throat> and you talked about it, or you alluded to it, is, you know, journalists are expected to go out and be fair, unbiased, objective reporters, and then they come back and then they're expected to write a blog and uh, offer opinion on the very things that of which they just spent, you know, the next last two hours writing an objective piece on. Uh, I have a problem with that because I think that while it's not the same context, it's the same story, you begin tipping your hand and suggesting to the readers, you know, um, this is how I really feel. Then you go back to the original stories, you know, 
then you have readers wondering if you're telling the truth. They start questioning your credibility. I just I think that uh, the idea of, of uh, mixing those two is is a fundamentally bad idea. Um, the uh, the ethics code that you, you you had a hand in for the Society of Professional Journalists definitely holds the line on questions like that, um, and I, I think. Um, represents a, a kind of standard that was very widespread in American journalism for quite a few decades. But clearly there are news organizations or so-called news organizations that are um, loosening that quite a bit. Uh, for instance, you just cited a, an example where a reporter might be told to write a blog and actually opinionate. Um, there are more and more news outlets that seem to be pure opinion. Um, do you feel like you're, you're fighting a rearguard battle at this point? Sometimes, uh, sometimes it's, it's it's very concerning to me. Um, I went to a um, I went to a convention a couple weeks ago in Las Vegas uh, it was a, for bloggers and new media, and there were 140 programs in this session. And uh, I took the program and I was looking through it, trying to find one that was involving ethics, and uh, I couldn't find one. Okay, uh-huh. um, so 5,000 people who were attending, calling themselves bloggers, are this new new media. Uh, Brave New World journalists, and uh, in three days of convention, um, there is uh, nothing substantial with regards to teaching them the ethical considerations of what they're doing. That starts to concern me. Uh, it concerns me a great deal. And uh, so when I and when I'm reading uh, a blogger, and just just a couple weeks ago I read a blogger, and I don't recall his name, and I wouldn't tell. Him, but but this blogger said um, his comments were uh, conflicts of interest between managing your own site and being the business manager and then being the editor. Uh, I think that most people uh, online would be so happy that you're making money that they'll turn a blind eye to conflicts of interest. And that was what was written on a blog uh, to people who are, you know, uh, are focusing their resources and their attention on what's called entrepreneurial or new age journalism. And I'm thinking to myself, if you turn a blind eye to conflicts of interest, eventually the public's going to rise up. Eventually, the public's going to go away because um, they're just going to—they're going to be fed up with it. They're going to be—they're going to see through that—that uh, that veil. And I—I I, I hope that uh, they recognize it for what it is and and, and look for more objective and more uh, appropriate reporting. Um, do you think these standards? Um in the ethics code um, we've been talking about and others like them are an ideal that is worth striving for but maybe impossible to fully achieve? Is it possible to ever, ever achieve this almost platonic ideal of, of pure objectivity? Well, I, I look at it uh, I look at it as an obligation, a commitment that we have to, you know, the argument has been around for many years whether you know someone can be 100% objective, uh, and and I, w- I will concede some ground on that. That you know, given our given our um, our cultures and given the way we were raised and our experiences in life, that you know probably we're not going to be uh, 100% objective. But I equate it to holding your breath underwater. Okay. Um, you know, you're not asked to hold your breath underwater very often, but when you do, it's a very important task, and you need to focus on it, and you need to achieve, 
you know, the best level you can because the consequences are dire. And I look at that with regards to ethics, and this is what I tell my students, you know, um, it's, it's an obligation. You know, it, think, of, think of yourself being underwater and having to hold your breath. The consequences of not striving for objectivity are dangerous and uh, can cause you a lot of problems. And, and while you may not be able to accomplish it all the time, it's something that you have to strive for. It's your obligation and your duty to do it. But uh, you come up for air every now and then? <laughs> well, Kevin, thanks very much for your time. Oh, no, it's my pleasure. That was Kevin Smith, chair of the Ethics Committee of the Society of Professional Journalists. You're listening to the 7th Avenue Project on Central Coast Public Radio, KUSP. I'm your host, Robert Polly. Next, another take on journalistic ethics in the wake of the Juan Williams dust-up from Tom Goldstein, journalism professor at the University of California, Berkeley. He's a past dean of the journalism schools at Berkeley and Columbia University. He's been a reporter for the New York Times and Wall Street Journal. He's the author of several books on journalistic ethics, and he teaches ethics in Berkeley's journalism program. Are, are you teaching journalism ethics right now at this semester? I, I am indeed. I teach, I've taught it every term for the last you know, 25 years. And uh, have you talked about the Juan Williams uh, affair in your class? Uh, we, we did talk about it, yes. What did people say? Well, I mean, we had a, had a spectrum of viewpoints, I think, from, from the class. And I took, and I kept on, you know, and I teach in a Socratic way, so I keep on challenging them. Uh, some thought that he was, that the punishment was appropriate. Others thought it was not. And I, I tend to side with those who think it was not and that uh, NPR maybe overreacted. You know, Juan Williams is an extraordinarily gifted journalist. Um, and, and in my understanding, he's paid to have um, viewpoints. And he, ex- he expressed a viewpoint which was close and perhaps a little bit over the line. But uh, I don't think he deserved execution for that. Mm. Now, now, my understanding, um, in fact, I just got off the phone with the NPR ombudsman who... Alicia Shepard. Exactly, Alicia Shepard. And uh, my understanding is, is the place where he ran afoul of NPR's ethics uh, code, in their view is um, they have strict provisions against going out and opinionating uh, by news staff, including news analysts, which was his job right. category, opinionating uh, on other media and saying things that they, they, that they would not be allowed to say in their role at NPR. In his case, it would not be within his uh, purview to go out and say, I'm afraid of some Muslims. Um, and, and that was the reason. That was the nub of the issue for them. And, and uh, the fact that he had done so repeatedly and been warned, they also... Uh, they also saw well, the, the, it surely was poorly explained, at least initially, uh, by the officials of NPR. Uh, and uh, I understand, but, but, but it would come as no surprise that he was appearing on a different, uh, on a different place and saying things in, in different contexts where, you, you, know, where you, you, you have a different type of freedom to say things. And if they didn't like him being on Fox, they say... You know, on, you know it, it's enough. Stop with Fox. Or if you're not going to stop with Fox, then we're going to have to discuss your future here. I mean, I think there, were, there was a whole series of actions that could have been taken uh, before he was dismissed. And I'm, and, and, it's, and I'm unaware of any of those actions being taken. Mm. Um, let's, let's talk about the more general point. And you have a long background in journalism and, yeah. and, and teaching journalism. Uh, and... Uh, is it a generally understood article of standards and practices that 
journalists are, are, are generally forbidden from going out and uh, opinionating, showing their, you know, their, any particular biases in public uh, because it may compromise their, their role. Uh, yeah, as, a, as a general rule, you want, you know, journalists should convey that the journalists, working reporters, not commentators, uh, should give the uh, appearance of neutrality, of fairness. Uh, that doesn't mean that they can't have viewpoints and can't express their viewpoints in various contexts. It's a very fine line. It's a delicate line. Uh, you don't want journalists who don't have points of view. Mm-hmm. It would make for very dull journalists. <laughs> uh, you, yeah, so, so on the one hand, you want people who are smart, engaged, and, but who are also sensitive enough to give the appearance of impartiality. And that's sometimes very tricky. Well, the, the, the prohibition against the appearance of partiality, the appearance. I mean, there, there's a huge distinction here. The, the, the ethics code doesn't say you can't have deeply held beliefs and opinions. It says you cannot go displaying them in public. Right. I mean, essentially. And I guess this, uh, you know, and, it come, you know, and with, with an election coming up, you know, I'm sure uh, this has been tested in all sorts of different ways. I mean, it does with each election. Famously, the, the, the immediate past editor of the Washington Post, uh, Leonard Downey, uh, would publicly say he, he wouldn't vote <laughs> because he thought that that would be by, I mean, even though that's a private act. Yes, exactly. He thought that that, you know, that, 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 would, that, would, be, that would show a partiality. I mean, I think that's one extreme. Uh, the other, you know, there are reporters, you know, maybe outside, a little bit outside of them, certainly outside the mainstream, who are actively engaged, actively advocates. And then the mainstream, um, which is NPR is in the mainstream, the New York Times is in the mainstream, most daily newspapers, uh, most television in the mainstream, I mean, there are certain limits. But I think those limits have become loosened a bit in the last, in the last years. Well, well, am I right in thinking that once upon a time, the idea of journalistic objectivity wasn't even an ideal that was aspired to most um, most or all of journalism a hundred hundred fifty years ago and more was and highly opinionated. I mean, absolutely, and, and we go through phases, and then you know, beginning probably close to a hundred years ago, this notion of objectivity was introduced. Now you don't hear the word objectivity quite so much used by journalists. They use other words like fairness. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're still you know, wrestling with this issue, and as I say, I think the uh, the binds are a bit loosened. Particularly, you've got energetic young reporters who are going on the web, where the rules, you know, where the expectations are somewhat different, and uh, that's lo- opening things up a bit. Do you, in your role as a teacher of ethics uh, at UC Berkeley Journalism School? come down on one side or the other? Do you tell students, look, um, keep all your opinions to yourself uh, uh, I mean, and, and stick I to the old school I talk about what the norm is and what the expectations are, but I mean, the, the people whom I teach are you know, independent journalists, many of whom uh, will be working on their own, uh, on their own websites or, or becoming uh, documentary makers. Um, and they, they're going to have their own points of view, but they should know the different. I mean, the the spectrum of expectations and why they should be thinking about the value of the norm. 
mm-hmm. or why the or why the the norm needs to be questioned. So you don't give them any sort of definitive guidelines saying do this, don't do that. I do not. Okay. I don't prescribe. Yeah, and they read codes of ethics, some of which are pretty hard to parse because <laughs> they're the, the, yeah because it's this is hard stuff, and you know and I guess. Uh, and I think if there's to be a benefit to be derived from what happened to Juan Williams, it's, this is back in discussion. Just to give an example, a few examples of just how slippery this, this can be, you know, uh, someone like Bill Moyers worked for the Johnson administration, uh, LBJ's administration. Right. Uh, James Fallows, another famous journalist, worked for Jimmy Carter. Uh, Diane Sawyer, I believe, worked for Nixon. Um, That's correct. Yeah. So, in, in my career, you know, in, 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 you know I had left the New York Times, was freelancing, and I went to work as the press secretary for the then mayor of New York. Um, not because I was a partisan, because it was a job, and it was an interesting job, and I spent two years there. That was Ed Koch? Ed Koch, right. And, um, and it made, you know, I knew a lot more about government and politics having spent two years there. But there were certain people, I, but I became radioactive to certain journalistic organizations afterwards. But you did not attempt to do this, the two at the same time, be a journalist and work for Ed Koch. No, no. Yeah, so uh, it seems to be that, in fact, people are allowed to do one thing than the other, but... Uh, one swing through the uh, revolving door. Exactly. <laughs> even though there are those who say, say that, that even that's impermissible. Well, are you happy? I mean, uh, this is a personal opinion I'd like from you. Are you happy with the state of affairs that we have today, which is where we're betwixt and between? We have, on the one hand, Fox News, which makes that word news very problematic because it's largely opinion, uh, many of the shows at least. Well, many, you know, many of the shows, but if you watch the, the news shows, um, they're not, I mean, I'm not, I don't watch them enough recently to make you know, definitive judgment. Some of them are pretty good. And what's on at night is the editorial page. Mm-hmm. And that's what people think about when they think of Fox. But their news gathering is, is okay. You know, we we have news organizations, quote unquote, that are even maybe even more purely vehicles for for opinion. On the one hand, then we have organizations like the New York Times and NPR, which I think are still trying to adhere to what might be called a, a more traditional yeah, the uh, classic style standards. I think classic that's standards. Right. Yeah. So, are you happy with that mix that we have right now? Uh, I, mean, I think I think it makes for a vibrant uh, public discussion, and you, you know, and you add into that the web and blogs. Uh, you know where it is. Sort of, I mean, as there are good things happening in journalism and bad things happening in journalism. Bad thing, you know, fewer people are reading newspapers, but there are more outlets for journalism. Mm-hmm. And some, and but, and the standards vary widely, mm-hmm. and consumers have to be have to understand that. Uh, and again, if we want to talk about Juan Williams, I thought it was a somewhat restricted uh, definition of you know of journalistic ethics that applies to him. And I don't think that NPR explained itself. I mean, it was not transparent. If there had been problems before, they should have said there were problems. You know, this is the last straw. Or but it seems that the better solution would have to have sat down and talked about it and come up with some intermediate uh, solution. Tom Goldstein, professor of journalism at UC Berkeley. You're tuned to Central Coast Public Radio, KUSP. I'm Robert Polly, and the show is The 7th Avenue Project. Today, the Juan Williams case and what it reveals about journalistic standards and practices. Next, we're going to hear from James Rainey, who writes the On the Media column for the Los Angeles Times. He's been critical of NPR's handling of the Juan Williams firing. Jim, hi. 
Hello, how are you? Good. Hey, um, who are you going to vote for for governor in California on Tuesday? Gosh, I uh, I don't know. <laughs> I'm, should I vote? <laughs> this sounds like uh, the interview I did with Hugh Hewitt. <laughs> oh, you did one of those? Uh, and you yeah. kept your job. The Well, the entire, uh, do you know Hugh Hewitt? The entire uh, interview, which was about nine months ago, was based on the fact that uh, reporters were not nearly transparent enough, and he was bound and determined to beat my uh, political views out of me, which I told him, you know, I'd voted for candidates of both parties and of neither, and I, I threw myself on my sword and admitted that I'd voted for Ross Perot, which probably disqualifies me as an expert on anything. Well, the reason I asked you is I thought perhaps your um, employer, the L.A. Times, would... Uh prevent you from saying that? I mean, it, are there ethics rules that apply to you as, a, as a, uh, a writer of commentaries in the LA Times? You know, there's somewhat more latitude for us, but in general, the, the rules here, and I probably should have put them in front of me because uh, uh, I, uh, I haven't scanned them lately, but in general, they, they discourage you from doing things even like putting lawn signs up or bumper stickers uh, indicating who you're voting for. So the idea being that uh, not supposed to show any bias that we all probably have our biases and our opinions, but we keep those in check as much as we can, and it doesn't really help to keep them in check if you're out there openly rooting for for one side or the other in in an election. Well, one reason I wanted to talk to you about this is because you wrote a uh, column shortly after the Juan Williams um, canning, uh, where you were critical of some of the policies invoked by NPR, and. Uh, just to remind our listeners uh, what those policies are, the one that is cited most often from the NPR Code of Ethics, um, this is Section 5, Article 10, in appearing on TV or other media, including electronic web-based forums, NPR journalists should not express views they would not air in their role as an NPR journalist. They should not participate in shows, electronic forums, or blogs that encourage punditry and speculation rather than fact-based analysis. So... Um, by their reckoning, Juan Williams went wrong in a couple of respects. He said some things that, you know, regarding his uh, his nervousness around Muslims on planes, Muslims in traditional garb, that would not be appropriate uh, for him to say in his role as an NPR analyst. And uh, he also went on a show that encourages punditry and speculation rather than fact-based analysis. What's your What's your critique of that? Well, I, I think the last part is is the part that's sort of where they. <laughs> They've got some problems because if you're going to discourage your people from going on a show that, again, to repeat the words, encourage punditry and speculation, <laughs> well, that is cable TV. That's the definition of cable TV. It's also the definition of much of talk radio. So as long as you have that in your ethics code and if you really want to live by the letter of your ethics code, you would have to knock all of your commentators, I think, not only off of Fox, certainly, but I'll probably off of MSNBC, probably off of CNN, and they certainly couldn't go on most of AM talk radio. So I, I think that that in particular was the part of their code that I just think if, because they don't really, I think, want to discourage their their people from going on those shows, uh, or at least some of those shows, I think they need to either reconsider that or, uh, or hold everybody to it. As, as your listeners probably know, they've got... Uh, Maura Eliasson, their principal political reporter for NPR, who is regularly on on Fox. And uh, so she's on a program that encourages 
punditry and speculation. <laughs> and uh, she uh, goes a lot further, I think, than Williams to try and rein in uh, her own punditry and speculation. But if you're on there, they're not going to put you on those shows unless you do some of that kind of thing. So that's the problem. There's this funny um, dance uh, that emerges uh, as a result of policies like this when a mainstream news person goes on a show that encourages punditry, speculation, uh, jokes, and generally freewheeling conversation. And one that, instance that comes to mind is whenever uh, Brian Williams goes on um, The Daily Show, uh, he is often baited by Jon Stewart into saying things um, that might reveal some, some partisan attitudes or, or, or to laugh at jokes that are at the expense of some politician or another. And Brian Williams always has this you know, sort of fascinating way of dodging it. Uh, right. It becomes this cat and mouse game. Right. But um, what's your feeling, though, about the 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 general principle, though, um, that journalists, employees of uh, of upstanding news organizations like the Los Angeles Times, should not reveal their leanings, their biases, their allegiances? Well, I, first of all, I can't believe you're calling us an upstanding news organization. <laughs> that's, that's, this is a whole. This whole conversation is worthwhile now. Uh, just said that. But, uh, well, I, I think these rules were put in for a reason, and while some people might say it's silly uh, because everybody has their biases, and, and this is uh, much of what I hear, in particular from folks in the, you know, sort of new journalism, uh, there's a big premium put on, we just all have to be transparent, and that everyone, uh, if you look at someone like Jeff Jarvis, who's a new media guru, does a lot of speaking on this. You, you should be posting on your website or somewhere all of your political views in, in, in quite a bit of detail, and then everyone will, will know much better how to judge yeah, uh, the work you do. But I, I just don't really think that's true because I think, first of all, I think it becomes a distraction. And for instance, if you took uh, a couple of reporters here who were put on the Bill Clinton case back when he was accused of running around after women as governor of Arkansas in what they used to call Trooper Gate because they had state troopers taking him around. Well, there were two of our very best uh, investigative reporters on that case. Did they, uh, did they have to be Republicans to pursue that? I, all I know is they went after uh, Bill Clinton, hammer and tong for two months, uh, here from a news organization that if you watch Fox, for instance, is a dreaded part of the left-wing media machine, and yet these two guys, who I suspect, you know, their personal politics might be liberal, at least on social issues, they, they couldn't have cared less. Uh, they saw a sitting politician engaged in something that they thought was unethical, which is having state employees ship him around the state for assignations, and they went after the guy, and they hammered him. And, uh, and the people who haven't ever worked in these newsrooms don't understand that that is that's what drives things a lot. If there's a fault, it's that people are driven by a, a uh, you know, they want to get a story. And they, uh, some people could call it sort of a gotcha mentality. If that's a fault uh, that newsrooms have, that would be the fault rather than one of partisanship. And you just hear repeatedly on cable television and on talk radio that, that the political biases of the reporters are, are changing the news. And I mean, we could talk more about how it does change the news in some cases, but in terms, especially of political coverage, I just think that's way overblown. Mm -hmm. uh, would your position be then that people should look at, at the coverage and judge it on its own merits and, and not try to discern 
the the uh, innermost feelings of, of the uh, the messenger. That would be nice, wouldn't it? <laughs> if you just read the page. I mean, I, I actually, it's funny you're calling today because I'm just reliving a column I wrote about nine months ago, and I won't take you too far afield about the subject matter, but I was brought on talk radio by Hugh Hewitt, who's quite conservative, and uh, he, he went after me for about 20 minutes about what a fake I was because I wouldn't tell him who I voted for. And, and the point that he was, the larger point he was trying to make is that I couldn't possibly uh, write columns being critical of you know, of sort of both sides, left, right. And I said, well, look, let me list some of the columns. You know, here's a column I criticized MSNBC. Here's one I, I criticized the New York Times. Uh, and, and, and I mentioned several others. But actually, you couldn't hear most of that because he was sort of shouting over me, telling me that I was a fake and a fraud. And uh, so this is the mentality that's out there right now. And that there are a lot of people who, uh, who buy into it. And they, they actually should read the <laughs> what's in the paper or what's coming out of various outlets, because, uh, you know, I think it belies that. If I can, can do I have time to give one more example? Sure, about sure. This? For instance, I mean, the L.A. Times, again, at least from uh, our friends on who are on the far right, they like to repeatedly point out how how liberal the paper is. And, and I try to tell them, well, if you look at the major investigations that our paper has done over the last year, that the quote, targets of them have been SEIU, Service Employees International, and two major series, one about teacher tenure and one ranking teachers based on the test scores that their students get. Those were all loathed by the unions, the teachers union in particular, and SEIU in the latter case. And, uh, you know, so if, if indeed we are in the thrall of the uh, what Bill O'Reilly likes to call the left-wing loons, why would we even publish those stories? I mean, and is that part of the massive cover-up to disguise what really goes on here? I guess so. It took up the front page day after day in the last year, so it was a pretty good cover-up, I think. But, well, uh, well, one can imagine actually a inner mechanism of someone who may be, say, liberal-leaning, um, actually overcompensating and going harder on their, say, fellow liberals and Democrats in their reporting. Right. Well, I think one place where, uh, you know, you can't uh, prove this, but I think on some of the social issues, I think reporters in particular in this newsroom, I suspect there aren't a lot of people, for instance, who are uh, wholeheartedly opposed to gay marriage. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so in covering the, uh, the side is anti-gay marriage, we would, the editors would have to sort of lean over backwards, I think, to present that point of view. I think if you looked at our coverage of that, I haven't studied it rigorously, but I'm, I'm quite sure that the folks on that side of the agenda had their say in the paper. It is true, though, on some of those issues, there's no, there's no doubt, I'm not going to lie, that in, in big newsrooms like this or in most of the media, on, on social issues in particular, uh, folks are quite liberal. On the other hand, if you want to hear people carping about public employee unions lately and the fact that folks are retiring at age 50-something with 90% of their pay, uh, you know, come in our newsroom, <laughs> and you can hear a lot of uh, complaining about that, and there have been stories about that. Now, that's not uh, that's not a sort of doctrinaire liberal position. So I think this stuff is gets very simplified, and and in my, you know, you're talk, doing this program about ethics, rules, and disclosure, and I think the great mistake of this new world order that's 
particular forwarded by the folks on the blogs is that, you know, we're just going to tell everything and then because we told what we believed before, everyone's going to take much more seriously what we write now. Mm. I think it doesn't hurt, I mean, in some cases to have some of that information out there, but I think, like I said before, I think it can be distracting, and I've seen people in here all the time who are writing things that don't necessarily agree at all with what their personal position is. So uh, to sum up, uh, getting back to the Williams firing, you think uh, NPR uh, handled it badly, but that the, the basic principle of, of separating opinion and reporting is still a good one? I think if you're going to do it, you just have to be rigorous about it and apply it equally to everyone. And there have been some examples brought up where folks at NPR uh, were going on to other media and, if not saying something quite as controversial as what William said, they were still making statements that would fall outside their ethics guidelines. So. They just got to be more consistent about it. I do think that one rule about not having people go on any opinion-based programs, they probably really need to talk that one through because they, I, I'm guessing they want their reporters to be part of that wider conversation. But if they don't, you know, maybe that would be a good move for them to just pull them all off of all cable TV and off of all talk radio other than NPR. Maybe that would be... Maybe that would enhance their credibility. They, they're in trouble on this one, I think, because they were inconsistent. I don't buy all this blather about it because they're terrified of of Muslims and, uh, you know, I, I just... Uh, you mean Muslim reaction? Of, the, uh, of Muslim reaction. I, I mean, you know, there may have been some of that that they were being sensitive to, to the reaction of the Muslim community. But I, And I think even in that regard, you know, Williams, it was an imperfect at best statement he made at best. But, you know, he did come back and, and try to indicate, uh, again, not very artfully, but he tried to indicate, well, hey, these aren't the kind of prejudices we should have. He actually applied that to Bill O'Reilly, the host, and said O'Reilly shouldn't be whipping up anti-Muslim sentiment. Uh, he might have applied it to himself a little a little better. But, you know, it's it, he's there. It's, he's commenting. It, it, was, it was not uh, the most articulate argument he ever made. Uh, but it didn't seem like a fireable offense to me. Hmm. Jim Rainey of the Los Angeles Times. And finally today, we'll talk to Judy Muller, who teaches at the Annenberg School for Communication and Journalism at the University of Southern California. She was for many years a correspondent for CBS News and then ABC News, and she still reports for public television station KCET in Los Angeles and contributes occasional commentaries to NPR. She says the Juan Williams controversy offers a nice opportunity to educate the public about the workings and goals of journalism. And it's ironic that when this Juan Williams thing happened, I had just finished teaching my radio broadcast students the ethics policies of NPR. They had had to read it over, and they were quizzed on it. So it was a real teaching moment for me. (laughs) And then I walked into Starbucks the other day, and I heard these people debating the difference between a news analyst and a commentator, and I said, yes, you know, because the world is now looking at this and talking about it. I think it's a great kind of national teaching moment. And, um, you know, I think we have to educate the audience, and I'm part of this news literacy movement. I'm going to be introducing a new course for non-journalism majors at USC next year, and I'm passionate about this, that we have to start educating the audience or the people formerly known as the audience, um, 
to, to critically analyze what goes into any kind of reporting situation, what should be allowed, what shouldn't, what's evidence, what's sourcing, what's more credible. And I think we have to just really make this a priority. It's, uh, it's quite a coincidence that I, that I got in touch with you. I had no idea that you had actually um, been uh, using the NPR ethics code uh, right. as, as teaching well, material. Well, uh, to teach my radio students, because so many of them want to go into public radio. And I said, well, here's the professional practices of NPR. When you are hired there, you are asked to read over this. And I was asked to do the same with ABC News standards. CBS had its standards. You had to read them, sign. I understand this. I think that NPR's problem was that they allowed Juan Williams to do two different conflicting jobs. And their mistake was in not saying early on, you can choose. You can be a news analyst for us or a commentator for them, but you can't really do both. And they didn't do that. And then I think they handled the, the firing badly. And, and their standards and, and those of many other, uh, I'll call them mainstream news organizations, um, specify that people who act as reporters or analysts uh, cannot simultaneously uh, issue opinions. And, in fact, um, they should go to great lengths to keep their opinions, um, for lack of a better word, out uh, of the public eye, even secret. I mean, you, you're not allowed to display any kind of political stickers or, or placards. You're not allowed to go on TV and say you endorse this candidate or that. You're not even allowed, according to the NPR rules, uh, and I think this is probably not so uncommon in journalism, to uh, to contribute to a political campaign, um, you can still vote because that's entirely private. But contributing to a political campaign under disclosure laws, it might come to light that you are on one side or the other. Right, and I will tell you that uh, when I left ABC News and before I had started reporting for anybody else and was working at USC, I thought, oh, for the first time in my life, I could actually be. <laughs> Uh, politically active, or or at least contribute. So I ended up paying to go to an Obama campaign thing early in his. I mean, he was, you know, he hadn't even really caught on yet. But I was very curious about him, so I paid to go. And I will tell you, I have regretted it every day of my life since. I uh, NPR, the last time they interviewed me for something, said. Uh, allowed in the interest of transparency, Judy Mueller contributed, and then they t- said how much to the Obama campaign, and you know, but she is also a commentator, and 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 I felt like taking a shower. I mean, <sighs> this is if you're a trained journalist, this is the kind of thing that just makes you cringe because I want people to trust me, and I have a lot of friends who are you know. Um, Republican ranchers in Colorado, where I'm from, I mean, I don't want people to think I have an agenda coming in the door. This, these kinds of ethics standards aren't meant to be punitive. They're meant to free you up to do your job in a better way. But, you know, when you enter that profession, when you, um, uh, I want to say, when you take this vow of, of partial silence, uh, you know, you are muzzling yourself to some extent. You you are abridging some freedoms that ordinary people have. You can't go out and start yapping about who you like and who you don't like on the political scene and, and many other issues as well. When you did that um, a while ago when you became a professional journalist, what was it like? Well, I, I don't think it's a big burden. I mean, I love being a reporter. I love getting other people's stories. I love being a conduit for their stories, and I'm not part of that. My own opinions... Um, 
aren't actually that interesting. So um, <laughs> I have, I think a professional reporter has that kind of ethic that uh, it's, it's not like giving something up. I can give my opinions, and I do all the time to my family and friends. Uh, my First Amendment rights aren't abridged, but when I sign something uh, that I'm going to work somewhere, I have to abide by their ethical standards, and they have every right to fire me if I do something that, that uh, you know, approaches that trust. So I, I think that uh, people, from, people who don't report for a living don't really understand this very well. Mm-hmm. They think it's some sort of, oh, how can you give up, you know, your First Amendment rights? Well, I haven't. I've just said, like any other person in the profession, a doctor has doctor-patient privileges. They don't talk about their patients to other people. That doesn't mean they've given up their First Amendment rights. Um, it just means that that's the ethic of that profession. Um, so I think, you know, but that gets real loosey-goosey in a lot of places. For instance, at ABC News, there were a couple of high-priced correspondents, or quite a few of them, actually, um, who would speak to groups for a fee, and groups that they would end up perhaps reporting on, like the Chemical Manufacturers Association or something, would pay somebody, well, I won't say who, but there were several correspondents <laughs> who are well-paid correspondents. It's not like they needed the money, but the money was so big, you know, like $50,000 to give a speech. I mean, this is where it gets real slippery. And they were um, brought in and counseled that this violates ABC News standards. Uh, You don't accept, accept that kind of money or any kind of money from somebody you may be reporting on. And they did it anyway. And because they were so high profile and so famous, uh, they were not punished for that in any way. And I think this is what's happened, is the big money has corrupted a lot of these standards. And I think Juan Williams probably wanted to make some nice extra bucks at Fox. Now he's going to make a whole lot of extra bucks. And that's fine. And I think Juan Williams had every right to go do that. But I don't think he then has the right to put on a different hat and then go be an, uh, an impartial news analyst at NPR. You've got to choose. You know, it seems to me that uh, this is a crisis these days for journalism in, in a couple of respects. The one that's that we're all well aware of is financial, of course, uh, that fewer and fewer news organizations can make ends meet. N- newspapers are disappearing across the country mm-hmm. and, and, and so on. But the other is that the, um, the widening culture wars uh, seem to uh, have convinced people that journalists themselves have to be on one side or the other. In other words, that there's no such thing as is is a, a remotely trustworthy or impartial uh, centrist uh, news organization. That, by golly, they're all liberal or they're all uh, conservative. And well, I don't think that that's necessarily true. I think you've been listening to some extremists. <laughs> well, <laughs> but, um, it's something I mean, I'm just picking up out there. There's a amount of yeah. trust in, in NPR, for example. Yeah. And I yes, if you look at their demographics and and you know they look at their audience pretty carefully. It's pretty much across the board split in terms of um, political affiliation and age. Um, and when I go to my hometown in Colorado, you know, and all my neighbors are ranchers, and I think most of them are Republican. Uh, I know we just sort of avoid politics when I'm here, but um, one of my favorite images is my neighbor. He was, you know, uh, harvesting his uh, his wheat or hay, and he's in his tractor with the cubicle, you know, the glass enclosed cab on the tractor. And he's got his headphones on, and he's listening to NPR. I mean, to me, there are plenty of mainstream 
very professional news organizations, I think NPR is one of them, um, that, that really do cross over those lines. Uh, you do get occasional people like right now, of course, you know, over this firing, you're, you're getting all sorts of folks screaming, you know, remove their funding, they're too liberal, and they go through this now and then. But if you really listen to the content of their program, you would never hear anything that skews liberal over anything else. Maybe I've been overly affected by some of the voices in in the media themselves who are saying, A, that uh, NPR is liberal. In fact, Juan Williams is now using one of uh, Bill O'Reilly's pet phrases, um, uh, that it's far left. On the other hand, I, uh, being based here in in very liberal uh, California, hear the complaint that from some people that NPR is right-wing and in the hip pocket of its corporate sponsors and so on. And, and, and so there seems to be... <laughs> that's a good news thing. Uh, I mean, that's good. If you're getting it from both sides, you know you're doing something right. Um, I, I, I think this will die down. I think NPR handled this very badly. Uh, to fire Juan Williams in such a peremptory snit, um, when they, this had been building for some time, a long time ago they should have taken the side, look, you know, choose. Fox commentator, NPR news analyst. You can't be both. But they didn't do that. And then after this happened, they didn't even call him in and talk to him personally. I think that was a big mistake. They, they were tone deaf about audience reaction to this, uh, the same way they were tone deaf when they shoved Bob Edwards out after more than 20 years on the air as the morning edition anchor. Uh, their beef was that Bob Edwards had grown kind of lazy and wasn't you know, as energetic as they wanted. Um, but... The truth is, to millions of people, he was the guy they woke up to every morning. So they were tone deaf then about what certain people mean to listeners, and they were tone deaf this time. Mm. Well, Judy, uh, thank you so much for your time. Well, thank you. I hope I didn't sound like a ranter. Judy Muller teaches at USC's Annenberg School for Communication and Journalism. And uh, I just want to clarify the final two questions I asked there of Judy Muller. I was not suggesting that news organizations can no longer be impartial. I'll keep my opinions on that matter to myself. But rather that many people seem to have lost faith in that impartiality and now believe that news is always colored by ideology. I hope that came across in my questions. That's it for this week's edition of the 7th Avenue Project. You can learn more and hear archived audio of our show at 7thAvenueProject.com. I'm Robert Polly. I'll be back next week.